Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. Recently, there was a very important advancement in ecumenical relations, ecumenical dialogue between the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church. What happened was there was a 14th meeting of the Joint International Commission for Theological Dialogue between the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church. And this was held from the 16th to the 21st of September of this year, 2016, in Villa Maria in the town of Chieti which is in Italy. Now, that town is spelled C-H-I-E-T-I. I'm pronouncing it Chieti. All the Orthodox churches, with the exception of the Patriarchate of Bulgaria, were represented. Now, that in itself is already significant because there are many Orthodox churches, and oftentimes it is a little challenge to get them all together or all attending a particular meeting. But this one, they were all there, except for the Patriarchate of Bulgaria. And also, a corresponding number, 26, Catholic members coming from different countries were also present. Now, what was very significant about this is actually a couple of things very significant about it. First of all, the topic, what they chose to focus on. And they focused on synodality and primacy during the first millennium. In other words, the first thousand years of Christianity. And they focus on that with the goal of moving towards a common understanding in service to the unity of the church. And looking at the first millennium, this is what this meeting said, looking at the first millennium would help both sides, Orthodox and the Roman Catholic churches, to look then at the second millennium. What we mean by millennium is this. For the first thousand years, there was a church that breathed with both lungs, as St. John Paul II would say the Church of the East and the Church of the West. It was basically one church, but with two fundamental expressions. And it was just known as the Church. And they would say the Church of the East, Church of the West. And this was a relatively happy, I'll call it a marriage, like a marriage, a relatively happy marriage for about a thousand years. There were some difficulties here and there. But unfortunately, 
as sometimes happens in a marriage, a relationship between man and woman, the relationship began to have more and more difficulties, and they became more and more estranged. So finally, they got divorced. The Church of the East and Church of the West excommunicated each other and officially broke from each other, broke communion with each other in the year 1054 AD. So when we talk about the first millennium, we're talking about those years prior to 1054 AD. The second millennium, of course, is from that point to the present, and now we're into the third millennium, of course. But in order to find out where we should be in terms of this subject of the primacy of the Pope versus synodality, we have to go back to where it all started, to how things were at the beginning when we were together. In other words, when we were a happy marriage. We'll go back to the old days. And we then look at, historically, what happened that made both churches grow in different directions. A lot of these things are historical factors. And eventually, what made the two of them break apart? How can we heal that? So the important thing was to go back to the first millennium. And there were some really interesting things that came out of this meeting on the subject of synodality and primacy. Now, synodality means coming together. In other words, it's a concept of church where it looks not so much at one particular leader like the Pope, but rather respects the various local churches, each of which have their own bishops or even their own patriarch, but that they're all equal. And to give us a little more insight into what happened, and we're going to be reading a few quotes from the meeting, we have our good friend, Jack Fingal. And Jack is here again after roaming about the earth, right? <laughs> roaming about the church, poking his nose into many interesting things having to do with ecumenism. And he's here with all kinds of reports for us. And one of which is a report on what he heard while he was in Europe about this very significant meaning. So welcome, Jack, to Light of the East and glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever, Father. Good to be here. So, Jack, you were well aware of this meeting, and we're both a little surprised that it's not getting as much airtime as it should. And that's why we're talking about it here exclusively here with you on Light of the East. Yes, it was a, a, a meeting that you know really didn't hit the secular press hardly at all, if if at all, and even the religious press, it seems to me, didn't pick up much on it. Um, it was it actually took place while we were doing the seminary concert tour for three weeks in September, and then uh, after a week or two, uh, it went off on a pilgrimage for two weeks in October, uh, and uh, it, it was uh, you know exciting to read about uh, when I got back, and uh, also to speak to folks in Rome about it uh, as we were traveling. And what did you hear? What was the scuttlebutt from good sources well, that you heard? I, I, I spoke to uh, and and had we had uh, short meetings with Bishop Brian Farrell, the secretary of the Pontifical Council for Christian Unity. Um, as part of our preparation for the trip, I uh, sat down and spoke with Monsignor Paul McPartland, who is a member of the International Dialogue, uh, who teaches at Catholic University here in Washington, D.C., and I spoke to some Orthodox friends that were a part of our pilgrimage that I think there were, you know, from a layperson's perspective, two significant agreements that came out of this meeting. And everyone is saying not one side compromised, uh, no one sort of gave in. It was a mutual understanding of, of the history of the Church in the first millennium, as, as you've explained. And that was that the Orthodox have confirmed the three levels of church jurisdiction, if you will, or church governance that were first presented at the Ravenna Agreement some seven or eight years ago, where there's a local church essentially supervised by a bishop, but in synodality with the priests of that diocese. There's a regional church, which is a patriarchate or a, a metropolitan, who is 
responsible for a group of dioceses, and so he leads that diocese as the primate or the primos in consultation with the other bishops, and they're the, the synodality, and that there is indeed a universal primacy that is reserved to the Bishop of Rome as the first among equals, and that it refers to the head of the church, uh, Christ, and that the Pope represents Christ here on earth. So there was this understanding of three levels of the church, and, and having a universal primacy was something new that the Orthodox in past decades and centuries have even rejected as, as existing. And here uh, they agree that there is such a primacy, and that it is uh, the Bishop of Rome, and he's the first among the equals. He's the first in what's called the taxis, the T-A-X-I-S, or the the protocol of the various patriarchates, Rome being first, Constantinople second, and then the rest. And then on the Catholic side, there was a recognition or an agreement that in the first millennium, the Bishop of Rome did not exercise a direct juridical uh, sort of authority over the Eastern churches, but he was this leader at the Eucharist, and that the Church considered itself Eucharistic and not juridical in the first millennium, and that uh, he was sort of a, a, a Supreme Court. He was the court of last appeal when there were disputes among the churches. So, And there's also a recognition that it took an approval of the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, for an ecumenical council to be truly ecumenical. The Pope never really attended in person the seven agreed ecumenical councils of the first millennium. He sent legates, representatives, and that when he blessed the canons of those councils, then they were considered ecumenical by the church. So so these two issues of primacy versus synodality, of jurisdiction versus leadership, the international dialogue agreed those in, in this document. And uh, I think it's a significant step forward, not only for Catholic Orthodox relations, but in speaking to some Protestant uh, leaders that I know through the Washington Theological Consortium, they're very excited about this notion of, of how the, the church operated in the first millennium long before the Reformation. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about why, as Jack is saying here, why this is a very significant development. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R life at earthlink.net. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. We're talking with our good friend Jack Fingal here at Light of the East. We're talking about this really important advancement in ecumenical dialogue between the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church. And we're going to tell you why that advancement is very significant. There's actually a number of reasons, but we'll tell you a couple in particular. Before we go any further, since we do have a good friend here on our program, Jack Figo, I do want to say hello to other good friends here at Light of the East. I want to say hello to people who have written to us with very kind letters and prayerful greetings, and we'd like to also greet them and be reassured of, of our prayers for them as well. And one of those is Loretta Fraser. Loretta, I want to thank you for writing to us and contacting us. So Loretta Fraser. Also, Craig and Patricia Wagner. Alexander Martin, and Betty Dyer, to name just a few. We appreciate all of your letters, your kindness, and above all, for listening to us here at Light of the East and passing the word along about our program. Because you get things here you just don't get anywhere else, if I may be very honest. And this is an example, today's program. This is a very significant development in Orthodox Catholic relations, and it's not getting much airtime. But thanks to Jack Figo, we're elucidating what happened in this very significant development. And here is why it's important. As Jack said before the break, this joint dialogue of the International Commission between the Orthodox and the Roman Catholic churches came to an agreement, without compromising anything, as Jack said, that we can look at the church, especially the first millennium, its jurisdiction, its governing policy, its governing makeup, in terms of three levels, a local level, a regional or synodal level, and then one of primacy. And the Orthodox churches admitted that the Bishop of Rome always had a pride of place, always had a first among equals. The reason why this is significant is twofold. One, it represents really an advancement in dialogue because oftentimes it was difficult for the Orthodox to admit this, at least in the way they did in a very collective way at this particular meeting, which happened in Chieta, Italy in September. The second reason is I often hear people say, well, Father Tom, um, let's see, the difference between the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church is that the Orthodox don't believe in the Pope. And I always have to correct that and say, yes, they do believe in the Pope, but what they believe is the significant part. They don't believe that the Pope has the kind of jurisdiction that the Roman Catholics are accustomed to. They think that that kind of went a little out of proportion over the centuries and the millennia. That's why we're looking at the first millennia and why this meeting looked at the first millennia trying to get back to base, like to try to find out, okay, what, what should it be then? What should be the Pope's jurisdiction? How far does it go? See, this is the point of contention from the Eastern churches, especially the Orthodox churches. 
But at this meeting, we hear that, yes, the Orthodox do believe in a pope, but what that means in terms of the extent of his jurisdiction, that is where the question is. So it's very important never to say the Orthodox don't believe in the pope. It's better to say what is more accurate, they do believe in the Pope. They believe, in fact, that the Pope has a certain place of honor, as sort of a first among equals, and they can look at history to point to this. But what is the extent of that in terms of jurisdiction? That's, that's what's at issue here. And this particular meeting, this joint commission, was a very significant step in resolving and healing that question. A lot more to go, but at least there was this advancement. And you heard it right here on Lay of the East from someone who's got their ear to the ground in the church, and that is our good friend Jack Fiegel. But Jack, you've been involved with some other things as well. You've been traveling around, so tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, as I mentioned in the first segment, briefly, we we did a, a three-week concert tour with the seminary choir from Uzhdod, Ukraine. Very successful. We, we had about 20 different concerts in churches all over the Northeast uh, U.S., including this time one Roman Catholic church in Weirton, West Virginia, and also the first time at an Orthodox church, the Cathedral of St. Nicholas here in Washington, D.C. So the, the concert tour is now becoming even more and more ecumenical. Uh, we brought 19 men over, uh, 16 seminarians, two priests and a bishop, the auxiliary bishop from Ujrad who experienced America in, in a totally new way. For, for all of them, it was the first time for the United States, and, and uh, it was a, an amazing exchange at, at all the parishes. And then for two weeks in October, I led a small group. We called it Light of the East Pilgrimage Number 2. Uh, Father Tom, you and I were on the first one two years ago in October of 2014 when we had a private audience with uh, Pope Francis. This time his, his schedule was a little busy. He's, he's been doing lots of traveling himself. And so the week that we were there, uh, the third week of October, we were unable to uh, have a private audience, but we were invited to the general audience that the Pope has every Wednesday morning for all the pilgrims that are gathered in Rome that particular day. And if the weather is good, as it was when we were there, it was bright, sunny, about 70 degrees, beautiful, beautiful morning. Uh, it's held in St. Peter's Square, right in front of the you know, St. Peter's Basilica, the big round square with the obelisk in the middle. It's the big round area that's called St. Peter's Square. Uh, and the Pope presides over uh, a, a short reading. There's a choir there are greetings given to pilgrims from all different nations in about six different languages. He gives an exhortation or, or a homily uh, about the reading of the day. And the audience lasts oh, about an hour to an hour and a half. He rides around in the Pope-mobile just before for about 30, 40 minutes greeting people down in the square uh, that have gathered. And um, then at the end, he greets uh, distinguished guests and, and visitors who are uh, visiting. Uh, first of all, all the Catholic bishops get to greet him one by one, and then some of the other groups. He also then poses for pictures with, it, it appears that it's all the couples who were married in Rome that week. There were about mm. 50 or 60 couples all in their wedding dresses and tuxedos that uh, stood for a, a group photo with the Pope. It was uh, quite interesting to see, but uh, our group was told we would have reserved seats at the general audience on the 19th of October. So if you want to see some of our pictures, they're on the Vatican website in the uh, photographic service of Osoritore Romano. If you look at general audiences for the 19th, starting on page three, about halfway through, and for 300 pictures, you'll see our little group greeting the Pope. Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the audience, we were escorted with our special reserve seat pass all the way up to the very, very top step. We had the first seat in the first row. 
uh, right at the top. We were no more than about 30 feet from his chair where he gave greetings and his short homily. And then uh, we were invited to greet him at the end of the audience uh, as a group and individually. And uh, in anticipation of that such an event happening, we had commissioned an Orthodox iconographer from Romania who was living in Rome right now to paint or to write an icon of St. Francis of Assisi. Hmm. the namesake of Pope Francis, uh, and we presented it to him. Uh, the iconographer joined our, our group, and I think he was thrilled to receive such an icon of St. Francis. And as I said, there's 300-some pictures of our uh, meeting with him and, and saying a few words and, and getting his blessing. It was it was really quite thrilling experience. Well, Jack, I remember having the experience with St. John Paul II, he was, of course, Pope John Paul II at the time. Once again, it, it just as you described, it was one of those uh, sessions where he had with the married couples. <laughs> and I was able to sit real close to and, and eventually, again, meet once again John Paul II afterwards. But I remember that day, it must have been about 110 degrees in Rome at that time. And all those couples were sitting out there with their wedding dresses and their tuxedos. But I was really hot in my black riasan, you know, and I think the Pope was pretty hot too. But we we're all toughing it out, and it was just a great time. So you have seen Pope John Paul II up close in person a number of times, and now Pope Francis. Yes, yes. In fact, this is my sixth, I think I've counted, uh, papal encounter. Three times with St. John Paul, uh, once with Pope Benedict, and now the second time with Pope Francis. The the papal encounter uh, with Pope Francis was very special. We even uh, prepared uh, our, our greeting to him in Spanish. Oh, so that this time he would understand, you know, the icon and what we were presenting and who we represented. Yes. Uh, and unfortunately, Metropolitan Callistos, who was with us on the first pilgrimage, was scheduled to be with us, but uh, he fell uh, at the Chieti meeting and was unable to travel in October. So uh, he he was not uh, with our group. But but we went anyway. We had uh, one Orthodox. Sorry, we had two Orthodox in the group, one uh, Roman mm. Catholic, one Methodist. A lady from here in Arlington, Virginia, who was Methodist, came and joined us, and then we had six Byzantine Catholics. So it was quite a diverse group from all over the the, the country that uh, was was with us. Then after five days in Rome, uh, we we did, of course, all the standard touristy things. Uh, we went to the Forum, the Colosseum, Sistine Chapel, Vatican Museum. We went through the four holy doors uh, for the Year of Mercy in the four basilicas of Rome. And then we drove ourselves through the mountains, visited Pompeii near Naples, mm. on Mount Vesuvius uh, in real life after the movie. It was, it was quite exciting to see. Mm-hmm. And went to Bari on the southeastern uh, coast of uh, the boot of Italy, which is the resting place of the relics of St. Nicholas, the original Santa Claus. Did you go there? Did you visit the relics? Yes, we not only did we visit the relics, but uh, we were able to have a divine liturgy over his tomb. Oh, my goodness, because the relics are miraculous. They're, they exude the myrrh, don't they? That's right, and, and then they take the myrrh, and they divide it up or, or you know, break it down and, uh, with some water, and they put it in bottles that you can buy in the gift shop as you're leaving. You know, a small uh, portion of it in a, in a bottle uh, home with me, and uh, perhaps we'll use it on St. Nicholas Feast Day coming up, which is going to be another ecumenical event that perhaps your listeners ought to watch out for. That I understand Pope Francis and Patriarch Bartholomew are going to meet in Bari, on the Feast of St. Nicholas, December the 6th, in just a few weeks. Wow. They're getting to be pretty good buddies, aren't they? They are. This is, <laughs> I think, I think it, I, I haven't sat down now that this new meeting is going to take place, but they met recently uh, sort of on, on uh, moral issues and environmental issues. They've met 
I don't know, six or seven times face-to-face wow. in just the last couple of years since Pope Francis has, has been our Holy Father. And they've, I think, developed quite a friendly relationship that they get together, you know, quite often. And if you look at my mathematical brain sort of plots it on a curve, you know, the Pope and, and Patriarch of Constantinople maybe met twice face-to-face in the first millennium and maybe five times in the second millennium. And now in the third millennium, Francis and Bartholomew have met seven or eight times just in a few years. Well, you've been all a part of that. Well, Jack, before we run out of time, why don't you tell everybody where they can go to find out about all your good work and all you have to offer in terms of books and films and so on. Okay. Well, um, streaming video is available at oltv.tv, oltv.tv, and information about our pilgrimages and our conference coming up next June, uh, and which will discuss the KAT document. And uh, our videos and liturgies are at olfoundation.net. That's olfoundation.net. New website we just put up about a year ago, and it has information about all of our uh, videos and uh, books and things available. As always, Jack, it's a pleasure. We'll have you back on again. Keep up the good work. Thanks for being here. God bless. And thank all of you for listening. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. The Church has 2,000 years of wisdom to share on what it takes to live life gracefully. We're so overwhelmed by how much our faith has transformed our marriage and family especially. We want everyone to experience the incredible gift that the Catholic vision of life and love really is. More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. Weekdays, 10 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.